Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. And today, well, we're fortunate enough to be joined by one of the greatest fast bowlers cricket has ever seen and a giant of the game. Wazzy Macram revolutionised the sport with his speed and swing. Indeed, he was the pioneer of reverse swing, a skill that changed the face of the game forever. Wazim's journey is full of success, but also drama, controversy, and up until now, mystery. But the left-arm legend has lifted the lid on it all with his autobiography, Sultan. And it's a great pleasure to welcome Wazim, the Sultan of Swing, to This Is Your Journey. Wazim, hello. Hello, good morning. How are you? First, I've got to say congratulations on the book. I mean, it is a fantastic read. The process, did you find it enjoyable? And how's the signing hand? Is it a little bit sore at the moment? Signing hand is okay, but the process was quite tough uh, in a way because, you know, I retired almost uh, 20 years ago. And it was difficult for me to revisit some incidents, some tragedies. And, of course, uh, my intent to forget stuff you don't want to remember. Mm. But credit to Gideon, uh, uh, Gideon Haig, the, my writer, who was well prepared and motivated, obviously. Uh, but I think the reason I wrote this book uh, was basically my two boys have grown up. My daughter is uh, eight years old. She's growing up fast. So this is my story for them. I really don't care what people think of me back home or wherever, but this is my story. People has been saying things about me from last 25 years. I kept it quiet, but it's now it's the time just to tell exactly what happened. Before we come back to the book, we're obviously speaking less than a fortnight after, you know, Pakistan lost the T20 World Cup final to England, but what a ride from your countrymen. I mean, you lose the first two matches on the last ball and you make the decider. It did have a, a feel of destiny about it until the final night. I think the, it's a young team with a young captain. They did amazingly well in this World Cup. Uh, some team has to lose. South African had to lose to Netherlands. Pakistan had to win against uh, New Zealand comfortably in the end. And uh, credit to the whole team and the skipper, Babar Azam. They qualified for the final. That's itself is a big deal for me. And mm. that's what I need to teach or we need to teach Pakistani people, especially young generation. It's only a game. Somebody has to win. Somebody has to lose. It's okay if you lose. Like Australia, got out of the uh, you know qualifiers. They didn't even qualify for the semis. You guys were cool. You said okay. You criticized them for a day or two, and then you moved on. Yeah. But in my part of the world, they don't move on for some odd reason, and that's annoying as a sportsman. 
I wanted to ask you about your former captain. And as you write in your autobiography, you know, your close friend, in many ways your mentor, Imran Khan, who was, you know, tragically shot earlier this month in a, well, it's been described as an assassination attempt, absolutely terrifying, a, a march to Islamabad, of course. Do, do you know how he's going? Have you, you spoken to, to Imran? How's he faring? Yeah, I have. I've spoken to him after uh, three days after the incidents, and he was being Imran, high spirits. He said, I'll be fine in month time. I'll do my march. I protest against uh, uh, this government to get the early pro- early elections. And I know Imran since childhood. I mean, once he's focused, once he believed that he's working for the right cause, no one can stop him. That's typical Imran Khan. You're in Melbourne at the moment, obviously. Your wife Shanira's old city. How often are you here, and where do you divide your time? Because you've got a few, you've got a few ports around the world that you split your time in. I, I'm based in Karachi. I'm, I'm from Lahore, but I moved to Karachi 12 years ago, so that's my base. But my daughter and my wife has been in Australia for two years because uh, my younger one is going to school here. Yep. My boys have grown up. One is 25. One is 21. The one is doing his masters in Michigan. Younger one is in Pittsburgh in his college. So, yeah, uh, my family is all over the world. So, I'm off to America after this to see the boys. And then I come back here for a week. Then I go back to Karachi. It's great that you do the memoir now, though, because as you say, I mean, in the autobiography, as you point out, you know, some or most come either in career when all that you can see is the game itself or immediately after when, you know, you guys and girls are still trying to figure out who you are, you know, with the pads off. So, the trip back home to Lahore, which was admittedly a while ago, I think 2014, but you go into some detail around that trip home basically sparking your motivation for doing the book. Yeah, I think it was my father who passed away. I took my wife to Lahore and then I just out of the blue, I said, you want to visit where I grew up in the in the inner Lahore, in the little gullies? She said, yeah, sure. Obviously, she was amazed slash shocked to see where I grew up. Grew up. As a kid, in little gullies, no places to play cricket, just full of uh, beautiful people around. So when I grew up, I, I, I mean, there was love around me in a way. Uh, my grandmother loved me. Uh, I was her favorite uh, grandson. I was the third boy, and then the, my sister came in. But I played cricket on the streets of Mazang streets, and you know, like I said, in Australia, when you see you see a park with cricket ground, with the rugby ground, with a footy ground. Uh, with soccer ground, you know, in Pakistan, I think I've been living in Karachi, 25 million people, that city is. And imagine if I have to count, literally, there'll be 25 grounds. Yeah. So imagine, imagine uh, 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 how do every junction can play. So that's why on Saturday, Sundays, every road in Karachi or Lahore is packed with playing young kids playing with tennis tape ball. And that's how I started my cricket. Yeah. And your, your father did have a few jobs. The one I loved and you termed exotic was when he was running the cinema. And to promote the films, he'd, he'd use the donkey with the cart and the billboards. And you had the great pleasure of riding it around. Yeah. I used to get dropped in school from Moliton, me and my younger sister. Although it used to take us freaking an hour and a half for two hours. <laughs> but that was the only mean of traveling. <laughs> with the, with with the cinema billboards lying on the side of the of that tanga, we call it tanga. Yeah, know that. Uh, yeah, uh, like I said, I was in class four, five. It was fine. It was exotic. It was different. But yeah, my dad had a quite a life. The cinema was fun. I could go in there, watch a movie if I had to. 
and sign if I want to drink any cold drink, some samosas, some patties. Just sign it up. I don't have to pay. I didn't have to pay at that time. So, yeah, those were the good times. Uh, good times as a kid. And I think as far as sport goes, table tennis was your first love. But that that man, Imran Khan, was everywhere in the time. Remind me, what was the clothing ad he was in at the time in full slow motion glory? It was that commercial I saw. I think it was one of the clothing brand or the uh, in Pakistan. Uh, that he is, he was just running. His shadow used to run in with slow motion with his beautiful bowling action, and that. And then, of course, seventy-eight. I must have been very young. India toured Pakistan. Eighty-two. India toured Pakistan, and we were glued to TV. I went to Qadhafi Stadium, sneaked in. Obviously, didn't have the money to buy the ticket. I sneaked in to watch India Pakistan play, and I think that I never. I saw him run just. In front of me, kind of, you know, next to dressing room. Yeah. Just then, I wanted to be a, a, a cricketer and uh, never looked back. Touch wood. I got lucky. Lucky break got picked up. My first first class game was against New Zealand, and then my fourth uh, first class game was a Test match. So thanks to our my captain Javed Miyadad, who actually picked me up and literally argued with selectors to take me to tour uh, eighty five tour to New Zealand. I want to come back to Javed in a moment, but table tennis was one thing, but I was shocked to read that you and the great Bill Laurie had something in common as well in your younger days. Yeah, I had a lot of, lot of pigeons. Even Makar, we were working together just now uh, in, in Karachi for this on this World Cup pre and post game. game we were there for a month. Um, and he, said, he reminded me, remember my, how many pigeons you used to have in your house? When I moved to Moral Town from my grand uh, grandmother's, and I took my pigeons there, and uh, yeah, those was good old days. I used to love uh, fly kites, and of course, pigeons was my main hobby. Like hundreds of them I had on the roof. So you're playing on the streets of Mozang with the tape ball with your mates, and anyone who'll answer a knock on the door, which is which is great. And yet, um, someone has to spot you, and it's a man by the name of Khalid Mahmood, isn't it? Who one day spots you playing cricket, and he was, would you say, the man who first. Really, there's a sliding doors moment. Identified your talent as a as a kid. Yeah, probably right. I mean, he said, "Why don't you play with the cricket ball?" I said, "Look, cricket ball. I would love to play, but I won't be able to afford monthly fee to the club cricket." He said, "Don't worry, they won't charge you." So he took me himself on his bike for a month to that club, Ludhiana Gymkhana, and from there onwards, I just started going to that every day at two thirty. I was the youngest, and I was the junior player, so I used to help to put up the net. I used to help to, you know, with a half cement pitch with 12 teams playing next to each other, balls flying everywhere, hundreds of kids playing. But that was it. All those things are gone in Pakistan, unfortunately. Club cricket is gone as well now. You're listening to This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers, a family-owned business since 1934. So a young Wazim Akram has caught the eye. We chart his rise through the Pakistan cricket ranks after this. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Journey. It's made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're chatting to cricket legend Wazim Akram. So, Wazim, as you explained, patronage has always mattered in, in Pakistan cricket. You know, Barbara Azam, Abdullah Shafiq, Imam Al-Haq, more. I've left plenty out. Their sons, their cousins, their, their nephews are former players. But 
you were different, weren't you? In that you learned on those streets. Yeah, uh, nobody played cricket in my family. My brother played table tennis. Uh, my, my, you know, my elder brother. I had two older brothers, and the middle one played cricket with me in the garage, but not at the highest level. And yeah, it was a kind of a freak accident, I suppose, that I got into cricket. Luckily, but uh, you know, it, it was uh, a dream come true for me sharing the dressing room with the great Javed Miyadad, Imran Khan, Mudassar Nazar. On my first trip, the Zahir Abbas, the Asian breadman, was there. Uh, Mohsin Khan, another uh, uh, you know uh, unbelievable player. All these guys were great help, and these guys have travelled the world. They used to play county cricket. They were well educated, so I had good mentorship early on. I love it. I just love it how you got your grandmother to sew the Pepsi logo onto your whites. You know, the dream of yeah. your first sponsor. You see, we uh, uh, like I think in Australia, England, or America, when you give your clothes to charity, those charities sell those clothes to Pakistan or you know third world country, developing countries, and that's where they have certain bazaars where they sell those clothes. So I went to one of the bazaars. I saw this kit. A white kit because that's the only thing I could afford. So I bought that kit and I just found a Pepsi logo somewhere and I asked my grandmother can I stitch it on my trousers because I wanted to look like Imran Khan. <laughs> Eventually, Pepsi sponsored sponsored me for twenty five years, but that's that's later. <laughs> I know so that, that's great. And was there a moment in throughout all this was when you when you're dreaming and you're in your early stages that you thought I might have something was it was it the moment that you struck your brother Nadine beating him for pace or when you were picked you know among the best 100 prospects in the country for a camp or when you were among the best 60 who got to bowl to the great Javed Mandat I think uh, I realized that uh, I can actually get picked up when Javed saw me the first time when my camp commander in Lahore praised me, a chief selector, uh, one of her selectors, Shafkat Rana, uh, first-class cricketer, Rana family, the, uh, three of the brothers played test cricket for Pakistan. He was uh, one of the selectors. He praised me in front of me. So I thought, you know, there's something can happen if I just concentrate and focus. And luckily, usually it doesn't happen, but in my case, it did. It was like dream come true. Went to Karachi first time, went to New Zealand, never travelled abroad. Uh, arrived in New Zealand, I think it's in the book, at Christchurch 35, there weren't many people there. We stayed in an inn kind of a hotel. And then I went out to look for a curry. And obviously in 85, there was no curry. <laughs> in. Uh, <laughs> and then Javed introduced me to steak. He taught me how to use knife and fork. Chips, never had chips before in my life. And then, of course, salad, never had salad in my life before. And then he introduced me to Tabasco sauce. That did the trick. <laughs> yes. And it's incredible to think, though, that your rise to prominence came so sharply that in your first one day against New Zealand, I don't know, someone urged you to bowl a Yorker and you didn't know what he meant. Yeah, I didn't. And I, I was, like I said, I was 18 years old and they gave me the last over. I mean, that was bizarre too. They were senior players and they needed 24 to win, luckily. And I think I got hit for four fours or three fours of first three deliveries. And I was all over the place mentally. And then, obviously, for some odd reason, I survived the next two, three balls and he won the game. And I said, thank God. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have been picked up. Uh, so, yeah, moral of, moral of the story is any young guy, any young fast bowlers come into the side, don't give him the last over. Second last, yes. 
maybe, but not the last. <laughs> I can't imagine how much your head would have been spinning because, you know, the world was a bigger place back then. I mean, here you are in New Zealand. You've, you've, as you say, you've never gone abroad before. I don't think you could even drive at this point. You don't have a nope. bank account. You've got no money. And, and you're told it's 100000 to go, and you thought you had to pay. So I can't imagine the thrill when you learn that you actually got paid to play for Pakistan. I know I was over the mood when I called my captain, Javed Miyadad, how much money I should take. And him being cheeky, he said, 100,000 rupees. I said, hang on a minute. I don't think so. My dad can give me. So please, can you? I'm, I might not go on the tour. And then he started laughing. He said, no, no, you're going to get paid. I said, I'm going to get paid to play cricket? That's awesome. Yeah, it was an incredible feeling. I remember it's, it's just like it was yesterday. You know, landing in New Zealand and not knowing what's happening. And then the boys took me to a nightclub as well the first night. And that was, again, something very new for me. <laughs> Obviously, I've seen it in the Indian movies. I hardly saw an English movie then. Indian movies, club scene, but it wasn't... Uh, I was expecting it was much better. <laughs> <laughs> and do you ever wonder what if? Like, Jarvid's coming back from injury for that net session. He didn't have to be there. He was... He came along for a light net session. You went so far as to say that it changed a life. But looking back now, if he hadn't have been there, I suppose you never know, do you? Yeah, you never know. If if, if he wouldn't have come, uh, if he wouldn't have been injured, he wouldn't have come to have net practice, probably I would have disappeared in 100 boys. But uh, fate, uh, destiny, I suppose, is the word. Luck, I suppose, is the word comes up. And I've been incredibly lucky. And John Wright is out. Well caught on the gully. Wazim Akram has his first test wicket. Salim Malik's taken the catch. That's a big moment for the 18-year-old and a good innings from John Wright, out for 66. Well, let's have a look at this delivery from Wazim Akram short outside the off-stump. John Wright didn't really get over the top, but he just played it away into the gully region. Well, that's the end of him because he got the swinging walker in. What a magnificent delivery. He hasn't really got it right today. This is the first one he's got on target. It's on 96. Well, Fetch is gone and he's yorked him. Hitting the stump very hard. Oh, he's gone right through Adam Gilchrist. You are with This Is Your Journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. You can find them online, of course, tobinbrothers.com.au. The 1992 IDI World Cup will forever be a part of Pakistan folklore, of course. We'll revisit that incredible tournament with Wazim Akram next. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Journey. Today's guest is Pakistan cricket superstar Wazim Akram, whose memoir Sultan is out now. We're having a laugh about the cultural differences before the break, Wazim, you know, the steak and chips, the curry. But those differences or, or lack of understanding coming back your way would prove challenging, wouldn't they? When it came to the game itself... And reverse swing. I was really looking forward to asking you, how and when did you discover reverse swing? I think uh, uh, I discovered reverse swing just uh, right after the New Zealand tour. We arrived in Australia for the mini World Cup in 85. You probably weren't born then. <laughs> I was six. <laughs> so uh, against West Indies, I got one wicket. And there was, I think, uh, great Michael Holding. I bowled him. It was big away swinger and I said, hang on a minute, uh, my ball it comes in, why it's going away with the shiny side outside? 
and big uh, he got bowled behind his legs he went across and behind his legs and i asked him ran said this is reverse swing that's how you do it and from there onwards he started uh, explaining it to me what reversing is all about how to look after the ball and he used to talk to me on every delivery in swing out swing bouncer back of a length and that helped me a lot early on because i just have to concentrate on bowling instead of thinking about my feel set he used to do it for me Beautifully bowled there by Wazim and he's got Darren Lehman with the Yorker. Beautifully bowled. We saw a bit of swing on the delivery previous to that one. This one was right up. Swinging Yorker. Very difficult to negotiate these swinging Yorkers. Started well outside off stump. Lancaster the Park scoreboard. That's not a bad in swinger. Would have missed the leg stump. I think it's a bit of a toe crusher. The big in-swinging Yorker that just hits the top of the foot. Thank you very much. That ball swing, it's quite surprising. Our stuff vision should pick that up nicely. And you write that had Australia or England invented reverse, then it would have been, you know, applauded. Uh, you, though, were seen as tricky, deceptive, you know, almost portrayed as sneaky. Yeah, cheaters. That's what they called us. All tempering in '92 world after the '92 uh, England series, and after two years, they learned the art from me and Makar, and it became reverse swing from all tempering. So instead of uh, apologizing to us British media, they didn't apologize to us. Sorry, guys, we were wrong. You know how they are. They even complained just now in the quarterfinal, uh, semi-finals against India in Adelaide. That is the used pitch. That pitch was used a week before. So this British media, I don't get it, man. I really have it. Still don't get it. Yeah, because you, you, well, you know the country well. You played a lot of county cricket, of course. You described it in England as a as an ongoing paranoia. And at a, at that time, you even released a, a strongly worded statement, you know, defending yourselves at at that time. Yeah, we we always knew it's an art, and it's a dying art now in this day to T twenty age. You hardly see bowlers doing reverse swing. If you do see it, maybe one side in swing, right-handers with bowling swing to the right-handers. And for instance, uh, if you say the modern great Mitchell Stark, he comes around the wicket and he go, he bring, he, he you know takes the ball away from the right-hander. Beautifully, full Yorkers, but he doesn't bring the ball back in. So it's kind of a dying art. I hope it stays around. Now I believe officially you can't use saliva on the ball. So my question on this subject was, if you're playing in this weather like today in Melbourne, it's freaking freezing. I'm sitting in a jacket in my own house with the heater on and you don't get sweat. So how will you shine the ball? I don't know who makes this decision. I understand COVID, uh, COVID was around. It's gone now. But uh, with that, reverse swing will be disappeared as well, unfortunately. Wazzy Macram, he's got to be one of the greatest bowlers ever played the game. Show back to one of the fastest, other good bowlers in that. So where do we put Akram? I mean, have you got him at the top of the run? I had, I have him and, and Kirtley Ambrose as the two best bowlers I face. Ambrose got me out all the time. He got me out for fun. But Wazzy Macram, I had a, some success against him, but I remember playing him at times when the ball started swill up. You actually had to play him like you're, you're playing French cricket because the ball would swing that late. You'd play with a very abbreviated back lift and just bunt him around. And Alan Border and I, I mean, put together a partnership in the MCG once, and we were seriously playing without a back lift. We'd just bunt him for ones yeah. and change the strike around because he could swing the old ball more than he could swing the new. Best bowler I ever faced. 
The same it? thing. Short run up, was it, Matt Graham? Short run up, got to the mark, and you had to be set even when you saw his back because he was at the back of his mark and in on top of you. He, he didn't have a, a, a jump into his action. He just ran through the crease. As Mark Taylor said, you're playing a line, playing a line. Then the thing started to yeah. swing, and there were that many LBW shouts, yeah. and I was like, get, get out, outside the line. <laughs> and he got, I got runs against him occasionally, but he got me out so many times. Where did the bowling fraternity put him? Oh, very high. To me, I agree with Tub. The two guys that uh, in the era that we played was Ambrose and Akram. You know, Akram could do anything. Like Slat said, he was on to you before you knew it. He just powered through the crease. But the funny thing was, his back foot when he landed, most people point forward or sideways. Akram's back foot pointed at the sight screen behind him. How, yeah. he, how he did it or his left... How he, how he did it, I don't know, but it was just incredible. Yeah. And he could move the ball both ways. I don't think there's been a guy that's sort of done more with the ball. The 92 World Cup was such an amazing tournament. I mean, Pakistan, you were young, you were unfancied, absolutely. You prepared with old balls because the, the PCB, the Pakistan Cricket Board, deemed the new ones too expensive. But you were also uninhibited, and that proved dangerous. Charge, he hit that. That could go all the way. Superb replaced by Wazimakram. Well, we've got two very powerful men at the crease. That's a good hit. That's going all the way through mid-wicket for four. What, down on one knee? Get that straight, that could be four more. The long off coming around won't get it. Superb straight. Yeah, it did. Uh, I think uh, a 92 World Cup was the the start of uh, uh, Pakistan cricket to come, you know, to compete against the best sides in the world. That gave us the confidence, that gave whole nation the confidence that we can actually compete against the best of the best. So, yeah, reverse swing was in play in the finals against Daryl Lamb and Chris Lewis. <laughs> What a great delivery. Left arm round the wicket. Alan Lamb has been cleaned up. Perhaps so too England. Your brother is still there. Subtract Lewis from that list. Wazim Akram is on a hat-trick. Played on. Never forgetting bowling Alan Lamb. And he bowled Lewis with balls that just swung that far at night. But you've got to have the ability to do that, and he was one of the all-time greats, and I think that put him on the world stage as one of the all-time great bowlers. Absolutely magnificent delivery, as near as to unplayable as you can possibly get. The greatest left-arm bowler of all time, Wasim Akram from Pakistan. I remember the Chris Lewis wicket. I was, I was thinking or wanting to bowl the Yorker around the wicket, but Imran, my captain, said no. He'll be expecting a Yorker bowl a length ball, in-swing length ball. And that's what exactly I did. And inside edge onto the stump. So that's why he was a very shrewd leader, Imran, as, as cricket concerned. I love it. The, the early form was indifferent. The preparation was a bit off as well. 74 against England uh, in Adelaide, saved by rain. You couldn't control the white ball. It was swinging all over the place. And yet, after sneaking into those semifinals, coming back to New Zealand, you wrote a note to a cabbie in New Zealand saying, yeah. Pakistan will win the World Cup. And you, you signed off on it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why I did that. I think I had a feeling after that that we qualified now, so luck is on our side. And back home, it was the month of Ramadan where we fast. The whole country was praying. They were, they were awake all night because time difference in watching the games. And yeah, it just uh, there was a great in- incident. We were going out for dinner and I just slowed to the taxi driver and it became true. And like I said, it changed the course of Pakistan cricket for future generations. 
That's up in the air, he's getting under it. This could be victory, it is. Pakistan win the World Cup. A magnificent performance in front of 87,000 people. Imran Khan has went his side to victory. What a great victory. Well, the Pakistani players in prayer on the ground to give thanks for their victory. They've certainly been the side of the night. Their momentum in this tournament has grown and grown and grown, and they've timed their best form absolutely perfectly. It's been a team effort. The entire squad, the physio, the doctors, they're all out on the field now. And they're loving every moment of this. Final against England, two wickets and two balls, of course. Just vicious swinging deliveries after he'd hit 33 off 18 in, in, the, in the innings, in your Pakistan innings. Man of the match performance. I mean, what did it mean to you to be, to produce at such a pivotal moment in, in the history of your, your nation and, and in Pakistan cricket? You see, that was a moment. Uh, I played 100-plus test matches, almost 401 days, about 100 of first-class games. But if people ask me which game sticks out or which game you remember the best, it's got to be the World Cup final. Ultimate, and that too, against one of the best one-day sides in the world at the time. Because England used to play more one-days in the county circuit than anywhere else in the world. So it was uh, for me, for my uh, countrymen, for my captain, I think uh, everything worked well. And the captain wanted to uh, uh, build a hospital for uh, poor people, cancer uh, hospital, where poor people get treated free. And that was his kind of goal behind it. And he's got two hospitals now, Lahore, Kar- Islam Peshawar. It's, and third was in Karachi, is almost ready. And it's free 100% free for poor people. And cancer treatment is one of the most expensive treatments in the world. That is amazing. Uh, speaking of Lahore, the turnout when you got back was enormous. But the prize money wasn't, was it? However, you you were given, I think, were you given a plot of land each in Islamabad? Is that what happened? Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, and I, I, we all had to sell out. Imran given his plot to his hospital uh, because he said even before the World Cup, if you win anything I'll get, it'll go to my hospital fund. And then uh, we had to sell our plots because you couldn't keep the land there in Islamabad. Being a capital, there was a law. I don't know if it's still there or not, that you had to build your house there on the land. And I think we cricketers didn't have that much money to build the house. But we sold the plot for reasonable money, according to the time, according to that era. But yeah, apart from, I think money was, was kind of irrelevant. It was just the attention. It was just the love uh, of of the Pakistanis, not just in Pakistan, all around the world. And it was a smile on the faces of my countrymen. That made us proud. And, and you do write in the book that cricket itself was the easy part, wasn't it? That almost bowling to Viv, Sachin, Brian Lara was straightforward compared to the expectations of your nation and the turmoil of your team and the, I guess the machinations of administration. It's the old saying, you know, you might not be interested in politics, but but politics is interested in you. Yeah, apparently in Pakistan team in the 90s, you had to be a good politician. I, I found out very early on that you got to know who's the PCB chairman, Pakistan Cricket Board chairman, if he likes you or if he doesn't like you. And we're still in Pakistan in this day and age. The Prime Minister of Pakistan picks the uh, head of uh, PCB chairman. There's no voting system, none whatsoever. So yeah, uh, it is It is odd, but it apparently... According to our thing, our culture, it works. I doubt it works, but it shouldn't be like that. But you had 10 coaches, nine PCV chairmen, and 14 captains in an eight-year period. And as you explain, you know, the, the team's not consistent, but neither's the country. I, I think it's still a fact, isn't it, that no Pakistan PM has served a full term in, what, three-quarters of a century? Yeah, and the, you know what's the funny bit is? 
when pakistanis ask me how come pakistan is pakistan team is not consistent i just look at them and i say can you please explain what's consistent in pakistan we are from that culture hence that's why we are inconsistent because nothing is consistent in pakistan in politics in cricket board i mean i got removed as a captain three four times yeah i was doing well every time the chairman somehow didn't like me he changed me as a captain so yeah it's a long story everything is in the book but i must say uh, i mean i must say it was an interesting and at times a horrible ride as well yeah you had a love hate relationship with the leadership with captaincy though didn't you because you mentioned you were in and out a few times and there was initially a case where you know teammates refused to play for you which the pcb accepted so it's it's then the question's got to be asked how are you expected to play with them when they wouldn't play with you when you were captain difficult yeah, i was there was downward spiral uh, as far as pakistan cricket concerned in the 90s the cricket board wasn't very strong instead of you know disciplining those nine players if you they would have fined them hefty money and banned them for 6 months they would have been straight as an arrow but they didn't and then from there onwards everybody wanted to be a captain uh backbiting no trust i went on new zealand tour i didn't talk to anyone for month and a half I got 25 wickets in three test matches didn't even do high five to anyone so imagine how difficult for me in a team sport where you playing on your own bit awkward bit odd but that was pakistan cricket in the 90s we're talking to the great wasim akram on this is your journey thanks to tobin brothers funerals celebrating laws we'll be right back after this you're listening to this is your journey with sam edmund for tobin brothers funerals visit tobinbrothers.com.au tobin brothers funerals celebrating lives You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. It's been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Global cricket icon Wazim Akram has been our guest today. Wazim, you write in Sultan that the first indication you had of, I suppose, corrupt undercurrents in, in Pakistan cricket was in 1990, before the final of the then Australasia Cup. Rumours were swirling that you'd lose a match to Australia. And Imran gathered everyone together, didn't he, to to tell everyone that to ensure that they played their best, he'd bet, what was it, £14,000 prize money that you'd accumulated to that point on yourselves to win. And you did. But as it turned out, perhaps it was papering over the cracks, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. I was too young to even understand what was going on. You know, I just, I whatever the team senior said, I just said, yes, I just wanted to play cricket. And, you know... instead of uh, you see if i make a promise to you as a gentleman i'll say okay let's promise we won't do this in our culture we just take out a holy book every time and you try tend to put hand on that book and says our quran oh we we will do this we'll keep our hand on quran it means we never back down and all these nine players who rebelled against me they did the same thing and then they played under me so that doesn't make any sense at all just make a gentleman promise if you want to do something why bring religion into it and then you have you put your hand on nine of them on the holy book said we never will play under wasim again and after one year they all were playing under me so it was it was just not fun in the 90s playing we although we won quite a bit of cricket but there was no trust mm. 
you make an attempt in the book anyway to to try to answer the question that so many of us have asked is why was the Pakistan cricket system susceptible to malpractice? And you have a theory, don't you? Yeah, I suppose I have a theory because there was no discipline. The cricket board wasn't strong enough. I mean, we were same age group. There was not a strong manager. There was there should have been a should have been a strong coach with all the powers who can discipline players, send them players back from the tour. Because as a cricket board, they were scared of losing because their jobs were online. So when your uh, hierarchy is scared of uh, losing their job, then these indiscipline happens in any team sport. And you made an attempt as well to explain, you know, Pakistan's, Pakistani society, you know, the, the joining of a tiny elite membership, if you like, as you were, like the glamour, the access, the, the profile, all things that outsiders and others w- would crave. We Pakistanis think everything is conspiracy for some odd reason. We do think that. If Pakistan have lost against India in this World Cup, the umpire misjudged the full toss, the whole Pakistan went berserk. Oh, it was Indian cricket board who convinced ICC. ICC convinced the umpire to bowl to give that no ball. So we just have to move on from this mindset. I don't know how, but uh, if we don't, we'll, our sports will struggle. Because they put up their own players under pressure, their own heroes under pressure. We don't need enemies, actually. We are good ourselves. And your conscience is completely clear, but I mean, you went through hell with it. I mean, allegations, even when false and, and motivated by ulterior motives, as, you, as your lawyer put it, I mean, can be damaging anyway, even if they're not proven, of course. Yeah. I mean, uh, 96 World Cup quarterfinal against India. I got injured three days before. Everybody knew. I had three, four injections, painkillers before the game. It was very painful, my intercostal muscle. I didn't play. And the 11 players who played, they'd never been blamed. So they planned it. Let's divert the attention towards Vaseem. So one player who didn't even play the game, he got the blame. Players who played, 11 players who played the game, they weren't being questioned at all. That didn't make any sense to me at the time. And your brush with it? I mean, I think you detail a call to your hotel room in, in Sharjah in 94. Uh, you know, doubts over teammates, watching their every move. I mean, there's so much suspicion. It just would have slaughtered Team Harmony. I mean, there were there were bans for players even suspected of match-fixing without proof at the time. Yeah, you know, in court of law, either you're guilty or either you're not guilty. There is nothing in between. And that's what exactly happened in that Kayub's report. And uh, uh, if you read it properly, the uh, first time I read it on the insistence of Gideon Hay, Gideon asked me to read that report, and I did. And in that report, it said, he said, she said, somebody came, somebody called, I was never involved. So I don't know how the, the, the honorable judge said that, okay, his name is popping up, not knowing that in Pakistani culture, they will throw you under the bus. I've got to say, you're incredibly brave, Wazim, to admit, I suppose, that you weren't, you know, a great father or husband the first time around. I, I guess this is the trappings of fame and celebrity that was, you know, saw you left to your own devices. And as you, you know, so eloquently put, that, you know, those devices became vices. Excuse me. Yeah. It was tough times. I retired. I didn't know what I was going to do. I was all over the place and I got retired in a room, unlike in Australia where uh, they, you know, give you a proper send-off. In our culture, they don't do that. They just make sure that you retired unceremoniously. And 
Look, I don't want to dwell on this, but in retirement, you know, you became addicted to cocaine, as you put in the last couple of chapters. Rehab in Lahore wasn't the, you know, the warm, comforting and caring environment that you see, you know, in the movies. Um, was it difficult for you to go into detail about this in, in Sultan? It was very difficult, like I said, to revisit uh, that particular, particular phase of my life. I must have, I've hurt a lot to my late wife. My boys were very young. And obviously, I was being a diabetic. It was affecting mm. my health. Uh, but yeah, I hope nobody goes through it. And the idea was to come out with it. Uh, to be basically, if I can motivate one person in this world, and I think I've done my job. And assessing it all, you ask a really pertinent question, I think, as to why and how you know substances entered your life. In retirement, as a substitute for the adrenaline rush that you no longer had, or to perhaps take advantage of the opportunity that you never had. I mean, which one do you suspect it was? I think both a bit. And then also not knowing what I'm going to do, how I'm going to look after my family. Because I was a Pakistani cricketer, I had a couple of properties, had a bit of cash, but not enough cash to live and sit down. So yeah, I was kind of lost uh, and obviously got into bad company. That's very important in life. Company is very important. Peer pressure is very important. And that's what I've learned uh, uh, that, you know, over the years after that incident, when after my tragedy, uh, when my wife left us, boys were very young. And then I never looked back. So it was difficult to revisit even with Gideon. I yeah. didn't want to help the world. But then I said, might as well go with it, man. If I can tell the world what I've been through and I can, I can get over it. It means anybody can with family support, with your friends around. Yeah, it's admirable because you really bared your soul with it. It came through off the page, no doubt about it. And your late wife, whom, I mean, she's remembered so fondly in the book and your your boys, Tamur and Akbar as well. And now looking at you, look and you sound happy though. You've got your boys, you've got your wife, Shanira, your little girl, Ayla now. And I'm imagining just so much to be thankful for. Yeah, I really am. I mean, I'm so lucky that I met Shanira at the right time. Uh, she's a great soul. Uh, she's also adapted Pakistani culture, the religion. She's Everybody loves her in Pakistan. Uh, Bhabi means sister-in-law, Bhabi, in Urdu. So she is a national Bhabi. So that's what people call her in Pakistan, national sister-in-law. She does a lot for charity. She just raised half a million dollars in Australia for a children's hospital in Karachi. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic. And one thing you have in common with the late and great Shane Warner is that you're both ardent St Kilda supporters. Yeah, big time. St, St. Kilda supporters. Uh, she's from Brighton and great Shane Warne. Uh, that was such, such a tragedy. He was such a good friend of mine. And apart from that, one of the greatest bowlers of all time. And he'll be sorely missed. Uh, and St. Kilda, yeah. In our culture, you know, our parents talk to the parents of the girl. But I believe in Australian culture, I had to call Tony Thompson, my father-in-law. And he said, why is only on one condition you can marry my daughter? I got taken aback of it. I said, what sort of condition is that, Tony? He said, you have to support St. Kilda or follow St. Kilda. I said, deal. <laughs> what an Aussie ultimatum that is, if you've ever heard one. <laughs> well, Aussie Matt Graham, look, thanks so much for joining us today, mate. Personally, it's a great thrill to, to chat to a man. I grew up watching as a cricket mad kid here in Australia, even when you were terrorising us Aussies. <laughs> Your legacy is enormous. Your memoir is incredibly open and honest. On the pitch it off, it's an unprecedented insight into your journey. So well done on everything you achieved, which was plenty. And thanks again for sharing it all with us.
Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. Cheers. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online to find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.